Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience powered by Gasoline Alley. Today's guest is proud father and American flat track racer, Corey Texter. Welcome, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I, I really like the show, so it's, it's cool to be on it. You're um, definitely one of those people that um, straight away was uh, someone I really dreamed of having as a guest. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming in here. And, uh, yeah, let's get on with it. Who's Corey Texter? Oh, man. Shana's brother is probably the, the most well-known term I get. But, yeah, like you said, proud father. I have a little boy named Cruz who's uh, three years old now. So I, I'm a father first and foremost. But I also race motorcycles, go in circles. Um I'm a hustler. I, I, I do a podcast. I promote a race. I have an amateur team that I promote and do. Um, just a guy that loves motorcycles, loves flat track, and just, yeah, anything with two wheels, man, I'm, I'm all about it. It's uh, definitely something that I, um, I've seen and have seen over the past while is uh, your love for the sport must be so huge because the amount of time you must dedicate it away from your own professional riding is a lot, hey? Yeah, it's a lot to take on. I, I think most racers just like to focus on racing and they just want to have their head focused racing, training and things like that. But for me to do the other stuff, the podcast and the amateur team and things like that, it, it kind of levels me out. It takes me away from just being so intense about my racing. I get to kind of do other things in life and kind of prepare myself for a life after after racing a bit, man. I, I mean, I I'm 33 years old, so I, I don't know how much longer I'll continue continue to do this. I mean, I feel great, but I'm getting up there in age. It's so crazy to think about, but just kind of getting some things going for when I retire. I want to stay involved in the sport. I want to grow the sport, and um, yeah, man, I just I really like growing and, and improving the the sport that I've grown up in. I mean, I spent I was at the racetrack when I was two weeks old. You know, I've been going these races since I was a kid. You know, so I have a I have a strong passion for it, and I take a lot of pride in in the sport that I compete in. Is um so where did where did it all start for you? Yeah, basically, my dad was a pro. He was a GNC ranked pro rider back in the Camel Pro days. He raced against Chris Carr, Scott Parker, Ricky Graham. I mean, he raced against Jay Springsteen, all the all the legends. He actually had a national number for sixteen years, so he was at it a long time. Very competitive guy. Um, he road raced a little bit. He was a two time. 883 twin sports champion so he raced like the bostrom brothers and um and some pretty fast road race guys and he was actually i think a better road racer than flat tracker but um so it started with my dad um we owned the harley davidson dealership here in pennsylvania so we have strong background in harley davidson and things like that and then uh i think i was three or four man i got into it he got me a pw50 like most kids and just started riding and um, to be honest, I didn't really start racing full time until I was 15. Um, I was a wrestler growing up. I ran track, I played soccer. So I was into a lot of different things. My, my dad and my mom were divorced. So it was hard for me to race full time, me and Shana. So we kind of did other things. And then it came to when we were like 15, I did a couple of local races on a 450 and I did really well. And my dad's like, Hey, you want to go down to Daytona bike week and see how you do. And we went down to bike week and I did really well. And then we went to the amateur nationals, did really well. And it just, man, it just sucks you in. Like we just, it got more and more serious. And before I knew it, I started racing in 2003. I was pro by 2006. So you just, you just jump into it. And um, here we are, it's 2000, almost 2021. So I'm still doing it. And like, it's crazy to think like you're 33 
But we're talking 17 years of pro, you know, well, 15 years of pro sort of thing. It's a long yeah. time, eh? Dude, it's crazy. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not – when I sit down and I break it down year by year, it, it kind of mm. makes sense. But, like, just just to think I'm one of the older guys in the sport now, I swear I blinked because, like, I was a rookie just – it just seems like yesterday I was the I was a rookie. I was the youngest guy. You know, I was the – and now there's not many guys that are older than me. So, yeah, <laughs> everything comes full circle. This sport – that's why it's hard to take it for granted because it just comes and goes so quick and, like, all the – I tell the kids I talk to now, it's like, man, take everything, you know, appreciate every little moment with this, appreciate the hustle, appreciate the long drives to the racetrack, the bad results, the hard training, appreciate the shitty moments in racing. Everyone, you know, they want to talk about the wins. They want to talk about everything that's good in racing, but I learned, I've learned to appreciate the hustle and the grind because I'll look back when I'm older and I'll miss everything. So I've learned to appreciate every, every step, every process that comes with it. And those hard days are the ones that stand out, aren't they? Where you've turned it around or something like that. No matter what it is, the car, you know, your truck breaking down on the way and you're missing something and they're the ones you remember vividly, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was, you know, my dad passed away in 2010. You know, we went from – everything came pretty easy to us when we were amateurs. You know, we had a really good support system. My dad, we owned a Harley shop and, you know, it was – we were really well taken care of as amateurs. And when, when my dad passed away – he had a lot of debt, you know, he, he spent a lot of money, a lot of bills we had to pay for. Uh, and I didn't know if we'd race again, you know? So it was, I basically went two years without racing. Um, I didn't know if I'd ever get back into it. So those two years, I, I basically thought I retired at age 22, you know, I thought I was done. So, um, to be where I'm at now, I just appreciate it. Cause I, I honestly didn't think I'd ever get back to racing in general and now to compete for championships every year. And, it's just um, I hustle so much harder because I just don't take it for granted. You know, I just really appreciate what I'm able to do every week, and I, I truly enjoy it. What was it like growing up in a Harley-Davidson dealership in Pennsylvania? Oh, man, I saw a lot of things I probably shouldn't have seen when I was a kid, man. Just, yeah, yeah all the bikers coming in. I just, I just you know, I, I, I'm on a first-name basis with Willie G. Davidson and, and Nancy. When I see them, they come up and say, hi, Corey. And I have a really strong – love and support for harley davidson and uh you know it's crazy because now i compete against a harley uh, i'm on a yamaha mm. and um but yeah I, I just growing up in a harley shop with shana and my dad and my grandpa it was just the texter name is just is just really really big in the harley industry and uh yeah i bleed orange and black man i really do I, i'm a harley kid and i'll always be a harley kid you know and i support yamaha because that's the that's the brand i ride now and i really like the the program i'm on right now but I got a lot of Harley in me, and it's hard to hide it. So before we um, before we started on this computer here, you're in another room on another computer. We're going to do this, but we had an issue. Whose jacket was that behind you, the Harley Davidson one? Yeah, it was my pops. That was my dad's. That was one of his like rookie rookie leather jackets he had when he raced the uh, American Flat Track. Well, I guess it was AMA Pro Racing Series back in the day. So. Uh, I'm really big on keeping memorabilia. Like I've never sold a, a set of my leathers, like my custom leathers. I've never given any away. I've never sold any. I have every single set of custom leathers I've ever had. Um, and Shane is the wow. same way. We've always kept our, it's just something to look back on, man. I just, I really like, I take a lot, like I said, I take a lot of pride in what I, what I do and um, the history and things like that. But yeah, there's my pops. So 
they hang in the living room. They were a gift. Uh, somebody, I forget who got that for us actually, but it was, it's a really cool gift. It's in my living room. It's very cool. I seen, I was like, wow, that's, that's obviously got a bit of history to you. Yeah. <laughs> what do we yeah, got up in cool. the background there? Is that your 2019 plate? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's old news. That was last year's production twins win. you know, it was really cool moment for me. Like I mentioned a little bit, a little bit ago, I didn't know if I'd ever race again, you know, about eight, eight to nine years ago. So to come back at age, I think I was 32. Yeah, I guess I was 32. Uh, to win that championship was, uh, was really cool for me just growing up in the sport, being a flat track kid my whole life. And finally, um, you know, Shana came close to winning a championship so many times and to kind of break through for the family and, and get a tech, you know, win a championship for just the texters. <laughs> like it was yeah. cool to do, man. And, uh, I, t- I was really happy to, to have that moment. So back in uh, 2003, when you first started getting into it again or getting into it, were you, were you decent at the start? Did it take time? How was it? I was decent. I was always yeah. a decent rider. I was never shitty. I was never phenomenal. You know, even growing up through the pro ranks, I mean, I was, you know, I've been a guy, I was always a guy that had to work really hard. I never had the talent that, you know, I grew up with Stevie Bonzi. I grew up with, um, oh man, there's so many fast Johnny Lewis. I grew up with Jared Meese. Um, just a lot of fast guys from Pennsylvania who had a lot of talent and I never had that talent. So I was always a notch below those guys just because when you're younger, most riders, it's all talent. Like, to be honest, these kids, they don't work. No, no one works super hard as an amateur guy. Um, so it's all based on talent. And then as I've come up through the ranks, I realized, man, if I work really hard, if I study film, if I practice, if I train, I can compete with the guys that are more talented than me just because I feel like I can outwork them. And that's been my MO, man. I just, I try and outwork, try and outsmart. Um, you know, it's really hard for me. I race with a lot of talented guys and I just try and utilize what I do well to, to be successful. So no, it didn't come easy, man. I had to work hard and Shana was more talented than I was. I had to work extremely hard to, um, to get to where I am. How does, how does this sit with, you've got your sister is the most winning singles rider ever. How, how does that sit uh, being a sibling? Is that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's brother or sister, but that must be a, a tough thing sometimes. It's it's not that bad, honestly. I'm, I'm one of her biggest fans. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool as hell that my little sister is, wins the races. Sure. I'm, I'm her number one fan and supporter. I mean, I got a championship, so that's one thing she doesn't have. So I, I kind of got that on the <laughs> shelf. Um, yeah. But Shayna's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Everyone sees that when she wins, she, you know, beats a lot of good riders. So it, it's tough a little bit. People give me shit about it. You know, just, uh, you get beat by your little sister. I'm like, you got beat by her too. Like Henry Wild was, he was talking shit earlier this year, talking about how I got beat by my little sister. And then she went out and kicked his ass multiple times this year. It's like, what are you talking? Like you're talking smack, but she goes out and beats you too. So, um, yeah, it's one of them things, man. It, I don't, cons- I mean, she's my sister, but when she's on the track and she's just, somebody I have to beat and yeah. I don't have to race her right now. She's in the singles class and I ride production twins, but, um, yeah, she's, she's a gamer. She's, she's tough. It's cool. Cause like I listen to your, your podcast is tank slapping podcast. I listen to that a fair bit. I like how you, um, you take the piss out of yourself sometimes about saying, you know, people, people compare themselves against outside people. 
you try and compare yourself against your own family, it's always difficult or something like that along those lines. Like, that's really cool. It's cool to hear, you know? Yeah, honestly, I, I compare myself to my to myself mostly. I, I just try to be the best version of myself I can be, um, which is kind of cliche, I guess. But yeah, I mean, when Shayna does well and I do well, it's kind of a bonus. When I have a bad day and she wins, it kind of makes it better. You know, if I yeah. suck, but she goes out and she pulls off a win, it's you know, it's, 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 it's good. Like it's a better day than what it would have been if we both sucked. So typically it's pretty rare for us to do well on the same day. We usually like my mom always gives a shit about it. Like I always do well and Shana will have a bad day or Shana will do well and I'll have a bad day. But Texas last year, 2019, we both won Texas. So that was really cool, man. We, we both won on the same day. Um, there was a couple of days where like I won and she got a close second or she won and I got a close second. So we've had some, We've had some podium days together, but yeah, when we both can do well, it's cool as hell. And when one of us does well and we, the other one does, and it's just kind of a bonus, you know? So, um, same deal. Isn't there some sort of strange stat about that Texas one? Isn't that the only time a family's been on the podium in two classes or a win, sorry, in two classes or something like, is that right? I don't know. I, I think there was some kind of stat. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, we're always kind of breaking the brother and sister. We have a lot sure. of brother sister records, but there hasn't been very many brothers and sisters that have raced. I think we're the only ones. So, um, no, it's cool, man. We, we've had a good career and, um, you know, you, the Hayden brothers are really successful, obviously yeah. in the Bostroms and, um, yeah, there's a lot of successful racers, siblings and family members. And typically it's all, it's brothers, obviously. I mean, let's be real. I mean, racing is typically dominated by the guys. So to do it with a sibling, but also being a, my sister is, is special. Like, I think it's really cool. And to, for what she's able to accomplish and do every week, it's, um, it's, it's really cool to be a part of be, be her brother and, and, uh, to see her succeed along with myself. Why is, um, why is Pennsylvania such a good breeding ground for flat track? <sighs> I get asked that a lot. I think it's just, it's not necessarily Pennsylvania. It's not really like our tracks aren't anything special. If, not, if anything, our tracks kind of suck. Um, <laughs> we always travel to try and go to better tracks, but it's just a, it's just a history within like Pennsylvania. The roots of flat track go back 50, 60 years. There's always been fast guys and then they get these kids involved and then their kids race. Like my dad raced and Georgie price and Kevin Varnes, you know, there's, a strong history and then you have the jared mises the johnny lewis the the um you know jake shoemaker is a fast rider brandon price is not far away there's just so many uh i know i forgot a lot but yeah i just think it's the competition um i don't necessarily it doesn't really matter where you're at because honestly pennsylvania it's, it's cold as hell in the winter we it rains a lot in the summer so we can't ride as much as the people can in california but it's just the competition level, like iron sharpens iron, and we just elevate each other's game quite a bit. And, you know, I just think the competition level in Pennsylvania, it's always been fierce. So it's uh, you always want to step up your game to win. If you can win in Pennsylvania, you can pretty much win in AFT. I mean, you go to, you go to a local Pennsylvania race, Dan Bromley, um, all these fast guys are showing up, Ron Wood, Ryan Varnes. If you can pull off a win at those races, you, you're, you're there and you can make it in AFT. Tell me about what's the scene like in uh, away from AFT. What what is the scene of flat track like over there? It's good, man. It's crushing it. Yeah, with the we have really good TV package and 
media and publications are uh, covering the sport now more than I've ever seen. You know, there's a lot of good talent. There's a lot of road race guys that are coming over. Um, James Rispoli is is one guy that has come over of, of recent, and he's stepped it up, and he's brought a lot of professionalism to the sport. And um, you know, Tony Elias did a he did a race a few years back, and I'm trying to think. There's just a lot of a lot of people that are getting involved in the sport. You have the Super Hooligan racers. You know, um, Tyler Beerman and Robbie Mat- Matto is doing a bunch of stuff, and twitch and ryan villapoto chad reed's done some flat track it's just it's kind of like i don't know like uh like nintendo is popular again like Mm. stuff that was popular a long time ago it's sort of making a comeback and flat track is just like people are finally seeing how cool the racing is it's so badass like the racing itself i I'm, i'm trying not to be biased but you watch flat track as opposed to road racing and motocross and and that stuff. I'm a huge fan because I love racing in general. But you bring an outsider in, you watch the close racing, the drafting, everything involved with flat track, 140 mile an hour sideways, inches from the walls, air fences. It's just it's just really cool, man. And I think more people are seeing it and they're becoming fans of the racing and the personalities that we have. We have a lot of characters in our sport, and I think that is something the fans can relate to. Yeah, it's 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 always been and same here. It's like a grassroots sport, like a real grassroots thing. It's so relatable for people, hey. Yeah, it, it really is, and we're real approachable. Like you come to any flat track race, I'll I'll talk to anybody. Like <laughs> I just like to, I'm a social guy, man. I, I'll just chat with anybody. Um, you go to a motor race, you go to a, a road race event, and people just have. It seems like they have egos, man. They just don't. They just play the cool guy card, and they just. They just don't talk to fans. They don't talk to other riders. You know, everyone's just so intense and serious. And at a flat track race, we just joke around. We have a beer after the race. It's just the intensity level is there. But right after we're done, we can crack a beer and just, you know, talk about the day and just, uh, you know, chill with the fans, dude. We, we just have a good time with it. How good now is the TV package? The TV package is unreal, I feel. Yeah, it's great. I mean, NBC Sports is a pretty good, uh, is a pretty big channel over here. So to be on NBC Sports, I think we're reaching 3.5 to 4 million per year on NBC Sports. So it's awesome. It's good for me when I get sponsors, you know, I can sell that TV package. When I turned pro, we weren't on TV. So it was hard for me to get sponsors when I'm not on TV to sell my sponsors. So it's, um, I would kind of rely on cycle news, publications, things like that. But it's harder in media these days, um, like print media, it's harder. It's, it's way hard. Um, as a journalist, it's just print media is falling, it's falling apart. And it's really sad because there's some really good print magazines out there. And I, I think they should, they should be, you know, utilized a lot more than they are. But as far as the TV package goes, the social media content podcasts, you know, what you're doing, what, what people are doing to bring the sport, um, social media has really helped, you know, TikTok all that shit you know it's just it's really cool and the fans can just see it consistently and um yeah the tv package is big it definitely helps me out a lot when i get sponsors even in the off season now you can actually see something with it with social media you know like in the past say uh even when you first started it's not that long ago 2005 but as soon as the season finished it dries up you know now it's constant you can see your rider yesterday you were riding in snow I can see what you're yeah. doing, you know, like you're, you're constantly able to see what, what your athlete's doing. It's a good thing. It's crazy. It's a good, it's a bad thing. And it's a good thing. Like, can you imagine seeing what like the legends 
like the people from back in the day were doing every day. Like, wow. I don't know if I'd want to <laughs> see what they were doing. I mean, yeah, Probably it just would have been wild. Yeah, it would have been wild <laughs> to see what some of those guys were doing and, and sending it on the weekends and stuff like that. But no, it's, it's a really cool thing. It's a cool era for, for motorcycle fans and, um, everything's, everything's right there. I mean, you can just log on and, and just get content and that's, that's really cool. And it's helpful for me. Um, I push my social channels really hard just because I try to push my sponsors. So the people that help me out, um, I just try and, you know, get back to them as, as much as I can. I, I, I treat racing like a business and for the people that help me out, I really try to, I try to elevate that a little bit. And I think that's something flat track can do better. The riders can do better. I really feel like the riders in flat track, they need to step up their social game a little bit. Um, mm. Some guys do it really well. And then there's some guys that just don't do it well at all. There's a, a big gap. And I think if all the riders can kind of push their channels a little bit more, I think the sport would grow even more than what it is. I mean, you look at MotoGP, Supercross, even like GNCC, Woods Racing, things like that, pretty much it's consistent. All the top riders are all pushing their channels and flat track. Some guys just don't give a shit. And I think it's it's good for the fans to be able to to see that content. When did you um when did you become such a hustler? I had to. If I didn't start hustling, I wouldn't be racing right now. I mean, like I've mentioned before, I didn't have the talent. So back in the day for me, it was I had to do stuff to race. Like I wanted to race because I enjoyed it and it was my passion. It was my dream. And I wasn't very good. So I had to do the marketing. I had to do the journalism just to get opportunities. Um, but I feel like I've transitioned myself from Corey Texter, the the marketing guy who also races, to Corey Texter, the racer who also does this. Um, mm-hmm. I've worked really hard to transition myself from that role into being a racer. Um, and I still don't get the respect. I don't feel as, as a racer, people still like to kind of, you know, underplay what I'm able to do on the racetrack and that's fine. Um, but I just, it just motivates me to work harder and just kind of, I have a chip on my shoulder. I just feel like there's a lot I can do on a motorcycle that other people can't do. And I just don't get the, I don't get that credit. So just, I got to work hard to, to be, uh, to be successful. I have to put in the time and, I don't have the natural talent. Like when the off season started, everybody was giving me shit because I, I was cycling, riding a lot of moto. And I just, I, I can't really take time off because I don't have that natural talent to sit on the couch for two to three weeks or two months, show up in Daytona and be successful. I have to, uh, I have to stay sharp. And we did the, you know, we did the tire test last week in Daytona and I felt good. Like some guys were rusty. Some guys looked a little out of shape and, I've been riding nonstop. I've been training and, you know, I felt, I felt really good. So I try to stay sharp and I always try to get after it as much as I can. And the, the marketing side of it, um, like, did that just fall into, fall into like, obviously you've worked hard for it, but you've obviously got a really distinct knowledge of things to do because you're helping out other riders. You write, write resumes for different riders for sponsorship stuff. Like how did that all come about as well? Obviously you needed to do it, but how? I wish I knew, man. I do too much shit. Like I was sitting down today. And I just like, I'm bouncing between my list, my, everything I have going on. I, I'm promoting a race in Florida that's in January and that's coming up soon. I do the podcast. I'm promoting, I have an amateur team. So like, there's so much stuff I'm doing and I sort of just, I can't say no. Like if there's an opportunity, like I had, uh, I had Eric Bostrom on my podcast last night and we were talking wow. about how he had an apparel line, him and Ben, and it kind of, they stopped doing it because they didn't have time to do it. 
And like, he's talking about this apparel line. He's got all the apparel still in his warehouse. I'm like, I'm thinking like, how the hell can I sell Bostrom's apparel? It's like, I don't have time to do that. What the fuck am I thinking? Like, so like every, I'm always thinking of ideas and opportunities. Like right now I'm selling Strider bikes. I'm selling balance bikes just because I just thought it was a good opportunity. I'm selling mouth guards. Like, I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff I do. If there's an opportunity and I can make a buck, I'll find the time to, to do it and hustle. Um, I don't know how I fell into some of this stuff, man. I really don't. Cause I was a C minus English. I was awful at English, um, really? writing journalism in high school. I was dog shit. I was awful. Um, and now I've, I've had multiple articles in cycle world. You know, I've had pretty big, I've had articles in pretty big publications. I sent it to my English teacher and she just like was dumbfound that she can buy my articles at like newsstands. Um, I, I've just had really good people kind of support me kind of um, if someone gives you an opportunity, you just got to, I just jump on it. I jump on it and I don't half ass it. I just try to make the most of every opportunity because that's how you get more. So like I said, I didn't know if I was going to be a racer eight years ago. So I thought I was, I was going down the path of a journalist and I was going down the path of a podcast host or whatever I could do. Cause I love the sport. I just wanted to stay involved. And then, you know, a few years back, I just kind of got hungry. Like I was like, dude, I'm going to look back when I'm 50 and wish that I did so much more within my racing career that I did. And, mm. um, I really kind of racing is my main priority now where before it was kind of like a subtitle. Um, but racing is, is what I'm focused on right now. I'm focused on winning races, competing for championships. And, uh, it's really cool that I'm back to that, back to that. Cause I never thought I'd get to that. I always thought I'd kind of race as a hobby and finish mid pack and things like that. And now that I'm able to go out and, and compete with the top guys, it's a, uh, it's a really cool feeling because it's been a lot of hard work to get to that. And it's such a, such a cool thing to sort of see. I, I, I see the, the hard work on the sidelines. I see the different things you're putting out and you're a professional athlete that's putting out work. It's just such a different, uh, you don't see that too much, you know? No, I, I appreciate that, man. I really do. It's like I said, it hasn't been easy, but I, I love it. I love working hard. I love to, uh, I love everything I do. I love the training. I love yeah everything about it. And dude, the class that I'm in, the production twins class, it's, it's getting harder every year. And, you know, I won the first three, the first three races ever in the series. I won the first three. And everyone's like, all right, well, maybe it's just easy. Maybe he's sandbagging. And then you had, you know, you had Dalton Gautier, you had, um, you know, Dalton Gautier raced that whole series last year. I think he missed two races. So you had the guy that won the singles championship in Dalton. You had Colby Carlisle who won the singles title the year before they were in production with me. So it's like, dude, it's not, it's not easy. How's it easy? It's no joke. Um, yeah, it's no joke, man. So it's, um, it's never been easy. And then this year you had James Rispoli, you had, you know, you had Ryan Varnes, you had, Chad Coase, you had Ben Lau. It's not, you know, you look at the lap times for production twins. It's, it's not easy where I just think everyone iron sharpens iron. And that's the biggest thing with Rispoli this year. He kind of, he stepped up my game to where I, I had to just figure some shit out to compete with the guy. And um, I guess he's moving up to the super twins next year, but I'm really thankful for the battle he gave me this year. And uh, you know, the end of the year, we were really, able to kind of elevate what we were doing and i think it'll be extremely useful for next year so um yeah i just i appreciate those battles 
Let's talk about uh, your MT, MT07 or FZ07, whatever it's called in different parts of the world. What's done to it? What's what's it all about? Tell me about that bike. Yeah, it's a Yamaha MT07 and it's our bike is it's a great bike. The, the team I ride for, G&G Racing, LJ and John, they give me phenomenal bikes. They're reliable. Um, they're fast, you know, but our bikes are, it's basically the kit you buy from Yamaha. You hit up Yamaha in America here in the States, you buy the dirt track kit and you go racing. There's nothing really crazy about our bikes besides the fact that they're assembled really well and they're tuned really well. Um, we have, you know, a couple bikes that are 700 cc's. We have a couple that are made out to 750s. Um, I love the Yamaha MT-07. It gets good starts. It's really fast. You know, sometimes on the slippery racetracks, it's, it's really hard to get that power to the ground with the parallel twin compared to, you know, obviously I, I raced against the Harley this year, that V twin. And it took a lot, a lot of homework on my part to figure out what was going on because five races in a row where Spoli kicked our asses on that Harley. And I was just like, I became obsessed with figuring out what the hell can we do to make the bike better? I was getting up at five in the morning and watching four hours of film. My wife is like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to beat that Harley. Um, so there's things that the Yamaha does really well. And there's things that the Harley does really well, but our Yamaha that we run, I think it's the best Yamaha out there. I really do. You know, Essence has Yamaha team and, and they do a really good job with their team, but what my guys are able to do with the budget we have, we go to the races in a van. I mean, it's, it's a very small privateer effort, a father and a son. They're based out of Southern California. They bring the bikes, they assemble them. They do this because they love the sport. They're not making any money doing this and what they bring their package, they bring to the track every week that I race. It's just a phenomenal package, man. And every race we get better on them. And I'm excited to have another full year because what we learned like we had a couple shitty results this year. And what I learned from those bad results, I'm super thankful they happened because I learned so much. Um, when you win, you don't learn that much. You kind of just, I don't know. You just, you just win. You and then you just stoke. Yeah. Yep. You just roll with it. So when you lose, it's so beneficial because besides the fact that it just sucks to do bad, but then going back and watching the film and watching the, looking at the data, I've become obsessed with data. Um, flat track data was never important. You know, guys so old school, they race, they come in, they don't even, you know, I'm looking at the GPS. I'm looking at the data, the RPM curves. I'm looking at so much stuff with the, um, we use an aim sports data logger and I've become obsessed with the data. I think just trying yeah. to, I've been, yeah, I just Rispoli, they're always on their computer looking at shit. So I was like, all right, well, let's see what this data is about, man. So I become obsessed with the data and the last six races of the year, we got second or first, we didn't do any worse than second place. And we won, I think we won three out of four or some, I don't know. We, we got a lot better just studying the data, bringing new technology into a sport that's been around forever. And uh, yeah, just utilizing that, that technology with this, uh, with the MT07 has been really, really helpful. So what, what sort of data can you get? Like what, what sensors are currently on your bike? Do you have uh, like suspension sensors or anything like that for travel? Dude, or? the flat track stuff is basic. Like last yep. year, well, in the production twins class, we can't use, you can't use wheel set. You can't use traction control TC. You can't, yep. um, well, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to do that. So, um, you know, fly by wire, you can't do any of that fancy MotoGP shit. But for me, I just, 
I like looking at the RPMs, like where I'm hitting the rev limiter, like flat track. It's a circle, but sometimes the back straightaway is longer than the front straightaway. So I like to yep. see where I'm hitting. You know, we have a, a sweet spot for the RPM range where there's traction. I like to see where I'm hitting it. I zoom in on the um, on the track, like the GPS, and I, I like to see where I'm gaining time, like where my best lap was and where I was on the racetrack. I look at, um, man, it's, it's hard to everything, everything I can on that data. I'm looking at even stuff that doesn't matter where I'm where I'm getting on the throttle, where I'm shutting it off, if I'm chopping it, because there's sometimes where I'll go into the corner, I'll chop it, and then I'll realize, oh shit, I I I, I chopped it too quick, and I'll get back on it. So I, the smoothness, the smoothness of the throttle, all that stuff. I've just really, I've learned to utilize that data and I've never been a setup guy. I've always been like, just go out and race. And I've, yeah. I've taken a lot of pride in my ability to set up a bike now. And I did that tire test last week on a, on a Suzuki 450 and I haven't ridden the 450 all year. And, uh, we were the fastest guy out there on the timesheets against the guy that won the championship, Dallas Daniels, Shana um mikey rush cody cop and we were the fastest 450 and i really think like my ability to help set the bike up was a big reason for that so i don't know i just i, I think it's, it's cool, cool man i've taken a lot of pride in my setup ability uh over the past year so i i personally i'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to that i love that stuff i love telemetry i love data um yeah some just just being able to break things down is super interesting is it's really cool it's it's been a learning experience for me and it's cool man it's a new technology to the sport that you either pick up on it you use it to your advantage or you know just be left in the be left behind i don't know it's just one of them things so it's been good tell me about the tire test so you were on a rmz 450 yeah yeah i was um so wally brown racing wally's a good friend of mine he actually is he works for Joe Gibbs Racing, the the big NASCAR team over here in the yeah. states. So he has a um, a Suzuki team, and and I've been friends with him. And I was looking to do the tire test. I didn't really have a bike together. My team they were uh, they're based out of California. It's it's quite a hike from Florida. So I uh, I'm mentoring. I'm a mentor to uh, I don't know what the right word for that, but I'm a mentor for the rider that is racing next year on that yeah. bike. I can't really say any names right now, but. Um, between my relationship with their, with their new rider and my relationship with Wally, I decided to go down and do that tire test. And we're just testing a new compound. We had a pretty hard mile tire last year. Our soft tire was pretty good, but our hard tire was a little bit too hard. So they're trying to find a happy medium and yeah, man, it was good. We, we got some really good data on tires. I think the tires are going to be way better for next year. I think lap times will drop. I think the racing will be better. And as far as where we were at, like, I felt really good on that 450. Like, I haven't ridden the 450 all year, and I, I, I was the fastest guy on the first day. Um, unfortunately, we had a mechanical. I broke a cam chain on the bike. I don't know what happened. It's just some stupid mechanical. So I didn't get the ride the second day. But, um, yeah, it was cool, man. I, cool. I, I had a brief singles career in 2018 where I rode the singles class. And I had a couple top five finishes, but I sort of got – pushed around quite a bit in that class and I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder going into the tire test. I was, I was determined. I mean, I, I was going there to test tires and we're not racing or anything, but I wanted to prove a little bit that I can still ride a single. And if that opportunity ever comes, I would just wanted to kind of put my name out there just a little bit. Yeah. So. It's still there. <laughs> hey, that, um, 
with that Suzuki, like Joe Gibbs Racing was the factory Suzuki team for Supercross and Motocross, obviously. Is this spec of the bike much much like that, or is there anything taken away from that, do you know? I don't have a great answer for that. I know, obviously, a lot of those parts and development and things, can't they've come from the Motocross team and Supercross team, yeah. but obviously the Motocross setup is quite a bit different than the flat track, like the engine package. Um, mm-hmm. Flat track, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get speed. We're trying to get horsepower. Supercross, it's more bottom end. You're trying to get off the corners. You're trying to torque and things like that. So, um, and it's no secret the the Suzuki is probably the bastard child of the 450s, right? I mean, yeah. you have to kick it still. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So it was crazy how fast they've made that bike, and it's just a, it says a lot about Wally and his team yeah. what they were able to do with that Suzuki. Um, you know, to go out there and and, and it was a it, Volusia is a big track. It's a big half mile. It's fast. I mean, we're going 100 mile an hour on the straightaways, and uh, it, it was a good bike, man. I had a lot of fun riding it. So it was. I don't want to. I don't want to trade in the production twins class. I want to keep racing nah, the twin. Man. I like the horsepower, but it was cool. It was. You know, I, I ride a you know a lot of motocross and things like that. So to jump on the 450, uh, it was it was cool, man. It was cool to see where I was at in that class a little bit. So I tried to get. The bike blew up. I tried to find an Indian to ride or a twin to ride the next day. I wanted to see where I kind of stacked up in the in the, in the super twins class because yep. my goal is is to get back in that class. Um, but it's got to be the right opportunity and it's got to be the right just yeah the right opportunity for me to do. And I wanted to see if anybody had a spare Indian. Like I was going to go ask Briar if he had a spare bike I could ride. Um, but yeah, it just it just didn't happen. So we'll never know. Just to get correct me if I'm wrong, but if you made the jump into super twins on a bike that you need to be on a good package, don't you? You can't just jump, jump in there. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret that the Indian is the dominant bike in the super twins class. And, and that's cool, man. The Indian, those guys did, they did their job way better than they probably thought. And definitely better than the series thought. I mean, you have to be on an Indian pretty much to, to be a contender consistently um, you know, for me, you know, I was listening to the Rispoli show and I've, I've, I've talked to James a little bit and he never, he's never ridden super twins. For me, I jumped, everyone gives me shit about jumping back in classes. You know, I run production now and I ran singles. I was the first guy to kind of jump back to the singles, um, notable guy, you know, Henry Wiles has done it. Mikey Rush, Chad coast, they've done it after me, but I got a lot of shit for doing that. Cause I was the first guy to do it. Um, but, but what people forget is I turned pro, I turned expert. It was different. The names were different back then, but I turned mm. expert in 07. I turned GNC in 08. Like I moved through the ranks quick. I only spent one year, I, you know, one, two years amateur, one year pro sport, one year expert GNC. So when I turned, when I turned pro, I moved up right away. Like I wanted to race the best guys. Cause I had a good program. You know, I had a good, I had good bikes. I had good opportunities, but the way the sport is restructured now, I feel like all three classes, the exposure opportunities and the opportunities you can get within the industry and with sponsors and things like that, it's all equal. I mean, the Super mm-hmm. Twins is the is the premier class, and those guys down from top to bottom, they're the best riders. Um, that class is the best class. Like the guys that finish tenth in Super Twins, they're way faster than the guys that finish tenth in the Production Twins or tenth in the Singles. But the top guys in each class, like the top guys in Singles the top guys in production, the top three to four guys in all those classes. I don't think we can beat Meese or Briar, but I think we could 
contend for podiums mm. and maybe on our good days win. Um, I'm really excited to see what Rispoli can do in Super Twins. I'm excited to see where some of these singles guys moving up can do in production. I really want to see where everybody stacks up because then I kind of know where I stack up a little bit. So, um, yeah, my goal is always, always has always been to be a Super Twins rider and win a Super Twins national. But right now, the production class is just the best suited class for me. Makes sense. And the package you're on, that, that bike obviously suits you really well, eh? Yeah, it's, it's competitive. And that production class is cool because all the bikes are essentially equal and they're they're low cost. You know, the Indian's a $50,000 bike, just stock. Like, you, it's a $50,000 bike, you, you know, just the way it sits. Whereas you can wow. build, you can probably build my Yamaha for 20 grand. Um, it's, you know, it's half the price. So it's, and it, it just takes a lot less to make a production bike competitive. You can build a production bike in your garage and go out and win races. Um, you can't yeah. necessarily do that with the um, Super Twins anymore. Wow. So 50 grand for the FDR 750 stock. Yeah, dude. It's a, it's a big check. It's not, it's not a cheap deal. It's, yeah, flat track's expensive, man. And to do it at this level, it's, it's, we've, you know, the TV package and everything, we've, we've elevated that, but it's also, a lot more money to play ball these days and so uh there's been so many good riders over the past five years that just lost motivation and people like to bitch about the buy-in they like to you know they complain about the rules and those the people that complain they just don't have they don't want it bad enough like for me it's if you if it's whatever it is i'm going to figure out a way to do it if you want it bad enough like you'll make the sacrifices you'll make the calls you know Mm. i spend six hours a day um during sponsorship sponsorship season to find budget to go racing so the guys that they're not on this they're on the sidelines or they're complaining making excuses it's just they just don't have the the mindset that they want they need to be out there and um, the guys that are out there are guys that they want to race you know they'll do whatever it takes to be out there and race you you never like in your own show you never hold back your own opinions you don't say anything you you don't hold anything back is the current structure of the sport the best it's been my side, yes. What do you think? Um, that's tough, man. I've been I've seen a lot of different stuff in in flat track. I mean, I, I like the structure. I think it's cool. I think the three classes are cool. I don't like the buy-in. Um, I like the professionalism associated mm. with what we have now, like the haulers, the collared shirts. I think pro racing should look like pro racing. We shouldn't have people running around without shirts on. We shouldn't have hillbillies and you know i mean i we got to look professional because there's we're trying to bring in because the people the riders that are they complain about we have to look professional but then they complain we don't have any sponsors we're not getting paid it's like the two go hand in hand it's like you look professional you might pull in a coca-cola or you might pull in you know these big sponsors right now you know what the package used to look like no big real sponsors are stepping up to the plate if we're all running around and it's just disorganized and it's not it's not a um appealing package but i think mm-hmm. where we're at now it's it looks good to sponsors and people are getting involved and the class structure is good i wish we had some more riders you know i think the talent level we have is as good as it's always been um and we've had guys on our podcast we've had larry pegram we had we've had steve moorhead jay Springsteen, legends from the late 80s early 90s where everybody talks about how good the talent level was 
and Steve and, and Larry, they're like, dude, the guys now are just as good or better and they're in shape and they're athletes, but the depth is not there. Like back in the day, there was a hundred guys at a national. And now we have, you know, we have 25 guys and like 10 really good guys. So the, um, yeah, it's just, the depth isn't there. I wish we had more riders. I wish we could find a way to kind of transition the amateurs through the pro ranks and through the levels. And that's kind of what I'm doing now with my amateur team. You know, I'm trying to teach these kids, you know, I have a couple kids that are 10, 11 years old. I had a, I have a couple teenagers. I'm trying to prep them, give them a level of professionalism for when they turn pro they're ready. You know, they're not there just to be involved. They're there to kind of set the bar and be professionals. And, um, you know, I try and transition them. I try and help them find a, a ride at the pro level, um, get them sponsorship deals that they can communicate with and grow a relationship and, and things like that. So I think just, uh, I wish more pro riders did it, man. I wish guys would take kids under their wing and mentor them and get them ready for that next level because it's just everything. It, everyone's kind of, they're just like all in them for them for themselves. And it's just, collectively doing this stuff it helps the sport as a whole so 100 percent, and you know it's an in, it's an individual team sport in it you've got people have got teams there but it's such an individual sport as well yeah i agree i've said that on like for the social media thing when when like if red bull or somebody gets on you know if, if i let's say i write to an energy energy drink sponsor monster energy and and uh and they look at my social channels and they're and they're pretty good um but then they look at the guys i'm competing with just to see what the sport's like as a whole they're looking at yep. my competitors and they only have two or three thousand followers they don't post but once a month and just collectively if all the riders are doing their job and posting and and doing just taking it serious man just um it's my livelihood so i take it you know i'm, I'm a little bit intense compared to my other guys uh, they they're more light light-hearted with it but I just have a lot of passion for it and I just, um, yeah, it's my livelihood. So I collectively, when all the riders do their job and, and, uh, and just help market the sport, it just helps us all. It helps us all make more money. It's just like the guys act like they don't care, but then they're bitching. They don't make any money. It's like, dude, you don't make any money. Then you got to put in the work. You got to post on social media instead of riding your Grom or drinking beer on the weekends or whatever, playing golf, like post something like, uh, reach out to sponsors, like just act like you're a professional athlete. Um, yeah, I mean, even like Jared Meese, like I've talked to him before uh, about speaking his opinion and stuff like that. He's like, no one cares what I have to say, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, it's just that's a bad attitude to have. Like people care. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just one of them things. I just wish people would kind of speak their mind a bit more and um, and just market the sport better. Yeah, 100%. Just put it out there. This is what it is. Um, yeah, makes sense. Your podcast. What made you start that? I actually had a podcast when I was, when we go back to what I was saying, I, I had, like, I was trying to find things to just stay involved in the sport. I did a podcast mm -hmm. back in 2000 and shit, I don't even know what it was, 15. I did it with Scotty Dubler. So he has a podcast now and we actually had one together. It was called Flat Track Weekly Radio. And then I took some time off, um, tried to get back to where I was, where I wanted to be as a racer. And then I think it was, December of last year, Jake Johnson hit me up and he was like, Hey man, I'd like to start a podcast. What do you, what do you think? And I was like, dude, I've, I've kind of been thinking about getting back in the podcast game too. And 
the platforms for podcasts now, they're so much better than they were four or five years ago. Um, Chris Carter, the, uh, the guy that produces our show, he's a phenomenal producer. And I was, I've, I had a conversation with him and I'm like, man, I'd like to do this, but I'm, I'm still racing. I got to focus on, on racing and things like that. Is there any way you can get involved and, and help make this happen? He's like, absolutely. He's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, dude, I was like, there's so many just like, um, what's the word politically correct podcasts out there where guys just say the same shit. You know, they just talk about, Oh, it was a good race. You know, how did you get started in racing? It's just boring stuff. So I'm like, dude, if I do this, I want to uncensor it. I want to get these, I want to get like the legends of the sport on the show. Talk about hanging with chicks, getting drunk, just the party days, the rivals who they hated. Um, I wanted to spice it up a lot. And Carter's like, initially he was like, you, you won't talk about that stuff. I'm like, the fuck I won't. <laughs> I was like, I'm in my Kobe era. I was like, I'll talk about it. So, um, so yeah, we just kind of started rolling with it. Initially, initially we drank a lot. Like we would drink four or five beers, throw them down and just call these guys. And it got to the point where I barely remembered what we were talking about. So I had to simmer it down a little <laughs> I had to simmer it down. We we kicked it back a notch or two on the beers. Sometimes I'll have a coffee. And uh, it started off as a flat track podcast. And then we had like Josh Hayes on. We had, oh man, I forget. We, we started dipping into the road racing side of it. Ben Bostrom, Larry Pegram. And then we got Wayne Rainey on. I was like, dude, this is amazing. Like Wayne Rainey, this is badass. And Wayne is a, the coolest guy ever, by the way, that, we talk like once a week now. He's like my boy, like Wayne's really cool. Um, and then we, I was like, well, we had Wayne Rainey on, maybe Schwanzy will come on. So we called Kevin Schwanz and he's like, yeah, man, I'll come on. I was like, you're right, dude. So we had Kevin Schwanz on <laughs> and then like Eric Bostrom, we had Eric, Bo- just had Eric Bostrom on. Uh, we have a couple of pretty good moto guys that want to come on. So it's like, I think where like what we do with it, we kind of just, pay tribute to the guys that have retired. You don't hear from anymore. And we bring out a side of them that you don't really hear. Um, you've never mm-hmm. heard before. You know, we, you've heard about their wins and just the boring stuff. Like we try to bring up the, um, the childhood rivalries, the, what their dads did at the track, like just any drama we can get. And I've had a, quite a few phone calls and people bitching and you know, that they're not going to listen because we curse too much or, you know, one of our guys we bring in, Noah Chambers, he talks about going to the club and like just it's it's uncensored and people love it. It's a niche. Um, but we have so much fun doing it. I love talking to the guys because I'm a I'm a racing kid, man. I, those guys are my heroes. And it's just cool when they come on and they like like Jay Springsteen. He was like, yeah, you looked really good at Daytona and Moorhead before he got off. He's like, dude, you're the best whole shot artist I've ever seen. I was like what i was like dude thanks steve (laughs) like just my hero is complimenting me and and just chatting with them like we're friends it's just it's been really fun and uh, we really enjoy it it's a good time man like when when i seen that you got um wayne rainey and kevin swans like in a sequence sort of thing basically it was like back to back there every few weeks i was like man that must be a bit of a pinch yourself type thing as well yeah no it, it really is i mean it's hard for me i it's hard for me to get starstruck just because I race too. And, um, 
I don't know. I think that's what's cool about our podcast. We don't mm. fanboy too hard. I mean, Sammy does a little bit. My my co-host, he's he's a bigger <laughs> nerd than me, so he gets all giddy and stuff. But um, I think we just like it's campfire drinking a beer, and I think yeah. the guys appreciate that. I think Wayne and Kevin and Scott Parker and Springsteen and uh, Larry Pegram and uh, just yeah, we've had Baker on, Jared Meese, Jeffrey Carver, Briar, Shana. We've had just a lot of guys and it's just campfire bullshit racing talking you know it's just yeah it's cool man and the guys we have on our list um that we want to have on and we've had conversations with it's going to get better like we just have some really good guests in the queue to come on and uh yeah we'll just keep it rolling it's it's something it's like i said it takes me away from the intense level of the training and the racing and the riding i get to just come on, have a beer, talk, talk racing with my heroes. It's, it's really cool. And the fanboy part and stuff, like you're saying, like you take it back to everything. People are just people, aren't they? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it's like the only rider that I, I, I would, I'd have a slight fanboy over because just like the Aurora of, and the person like was, is Vale. Like, uh, yeah. like Valentino, man, just having him on would be, that would be crazy. That's like my probably, well, Dave Despain, I, we've had Dave Despain on and and that was big for us. Like he's legendary announcer. Like we, we wanted Despain on, we had him on. I was a little nervous for that. I was a little nervous for Rainey, um, which kind of, it, um, it got me ready for Schwancy. Schwancy was really good. That guy's funny as hell. But if I could have Rossi on, man, that'd be awesome. Like Marquez, I wouldn't be as starstruck but just Rossi, he's a little bit older, um, or McGrath. Like if I could have McGrath on, or I'm trying to think, yeah, McGrath or, or Rossi would be the two that I would, I would be like, all right, we got yeah. to kill this one. So <laughs> reality yeah. check. Yeah. No, it's I'd, pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, just, just something we do every week and, uh, it's been good so far. Tell me about a good day in racing for yourself. What's been a good day, real good day? Man, racing's so cutthroat. Like you go out, you win, you're happy about it for a few hours, you go to bed. At least for me, like I'm right back to work. And I know that's, it's robotic of me to say that, but I have to, yeah, I just, you're net, it's such a cut, it's it's so cutthroat. Like you're only as good as your last race. So I mean, you win, that's the goal. You go out and you win, but then you prepare for the next race or you prepare for the next season. I mean, when I won a championship a couple, like a week later, I was already talking about next year, my team, they were like, Hey, relax. You know, you just enjoy the championship. I'm like, I want to win another one. Like, um, (laughs) a good day for me. Yeah. It's just, it's just for now. I just want to win. I want to win races. So, um, you know, the end of the year there was really good for us. We won Atlanta, we won Charlotte, we won Daytona. Um, we finished the year with a really dominating win at Daytona and that was great. You know, we lost the title. That was heartbreaking. Um, it kind of, he dominated so early that I wouldn't say I, I kind of, I, I always thought I had a shot to come back and make it close. I didn't know how close we could make it at the end there. And then we had a rain out and I think mm-hmm. we had a cancellation that kind of just took the win from our sales. Like I thought we had a really good shot until, until that happened. So for me, it was just trying to win races, improve myself. Um, and I was just really happy with where my riding was at, at the end of the year. 
I think that was the best version of Corey Texter that I've ever brought to the racetrack. Um, you know, my starts were good. I was qualifying good. I was aggressive. Um, so yeah, a good day for me is just being better than where I was the day before. Um, this year was cool. We had a lot of double headers. If I did bad the, the first day, pretty much every race, I always improved on day two. Um, and even when we're lined up on the third row or we've, we've had a bad qualifying effort, I still feel like I can win. So I think the confidence level, just where I'm at mentally as a racer, I wasn't like that as a rookie. I was always in my own head, freaking out. I talk myself out of what I'm even doing there. And wow. mentally where I'm at, I take a lot of pride in because that's been hard too, is to get to that confidence level to know I belong out there and I can compete and I can win against all those guys. How, um, how did you change that? How did I change? Man, I don't know. Cause people ask me that a lot. Um, parents, they ask me, you know, how do I, how do I get my kid more motivated? How do I get my kid more determined? How do I get my kid more, um, you know, better in school? Cause I was a bad student. You know, I was a, I was a C minus student in high school and then I went to college and I, I was a straight A student. I was a 4.0 college student. So I don't know how I got the motivation. I just started getting it um, with everything I did. I was always just kind of like an average guy. I just didn't care to be great. Um, I was competitive, but I didn't need to be great. I just was kind of just, I would like to have fun. I just, yeah. And then I just got motivated. You know, losing my dad was uh, really motivating for me. Um, I lost my dad at age 22. It was, it's been 10 years ago. So to see what his, his work ethics and what he did and uh, how he never gave up, you know, he was, he wasn't doing good health wise and he would still come to work every day. He would still take us racing. He was still, you know, he'd be, he was, he ended up being in like a, a wheelchair cause he had um, heart and lung failures and, and he was really doing bad and he'd still come to work every day, seven in the morning, work till seven to 9 PM um, he was just a hustler. And I, I just think seeing him do that and then losing him, it was like, and then people kind of doubted me and I never got that. I never got the respect for my family, quote unquote family. They were supposed to be family. Um, I just kind of got a chip on my shoulder and I just got determined. And now it's everything I do. It's, it's either do it right or don't do it. Um, I just hate, I hate lazy efforts. I hate people that half-ass stuff. Um, even with riders, my peers, like the guys that are successful, that kind of slide by, they rely on talent. I don't have respect for those guys. Um, and that's why it wasn't quite as hard this year for me to lose the title to the guy I lost it to, because he's a hard worker too. Um, mm. you know, guys that work hard, I have a lot of respect for Dallas Daniels won the 450 title. He's a hard worker, Briar, hard worker, Jared Meese, hard worker, um, pretty much it comes down to guys that are working hard. I have a lot of respect for because I have to work hard and, um, yeah, I don't know how I changed, but here we are. I just, yeah, I just something I, I and I enjoy it. I, I enjoy working hard. So. Some you've touched on a few times, but what does it take for Corey Texter to get respected as those in the sport? <sighs> Shit, man. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Even like that tire test last week, you know, AFT put out a press release. They were talking about Dallas and Mikey and Shayna, the guy that fast timed the first day. Uh, every time I hit the track, I fast timed almost, and there was nothing in there about me. And, you know, you had a 33 year old guy that doesn't race singles on a Suzuki 
and uh, you know, there was nothing in there. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't really care. I don't care. I, mm. I don't really care about the respect. Um, you know, LeBron James basketball player over here and he won a title this year. And I've always been a big LeBron fan. And, and he said, when he won his title, he said, talking about respect and he, he finished his interview with, I want my damn respect too. And I'm like, dude, why do you care about if people respect you or if people, um, you know, I'm going to throw Dalton Gauthier under the bus a little bit when he won his championship, he said, you know, he quoted, he was saying, um, I wanted to prove everybody wrong. And I was like, man, why don't you just prove yourself right? Why do you care about proving anybody wrong? Like for me, it's always been about proving myself to proving it to myself that I can do it. You know, not looking back when I'm 50 and having regrets that I didn't bring the best version of myself. Um, so the respect thing, it's whatever I'll get it or I won't get it. I, I've, uh, I used to worry about that a lot and I used to let it keep me up at night, but, um, I'm just going to bring my, my, the best version of myself everywhere I can on the track, off the track. If people like it, cool. A lot of people don't, I, you know, it's whatever. I'm just going to be me and be happy at the, at the end of the day and just c- try to keep improving, keep winning races, race as long as I can, hopefully get back to that Super Twins level um, at some point and reach my goal, which has always been to win a, you know, win a Super Twins race. Um, you know, obviously everybody wants to win a championship, but I, my goals have always been realistic and, you know, I think I have a good shot. I could have a good shot to win some races in that class. And that's kind of where I'd like to be at some point. Who's been the, um, who's been the worst, worst rival? You're an elder statesman now at 33. You would have had some rivals along the way. Who's been the hardest? Who's been the worst? Oh man. Well, as an amateur, my rival growing up was always Brandon Robinson. I mean, we were friends, but he was always the guy, like always the thorn in my side. I always had to beat Brandon Robinson. We lived a half hour from each other. He dated my sister for seven years. It was like Brandon really elevated my game as an amateur uh, rider. Mm -hmm. And then my biggest rival when I turned pro was myself. Like I couldn't get out of my own head. It was just everybody was my rival. Um, I didn't have any big rivals. Matt, Matt Weidman, he was a rider from New York, really good rider. I guess maybe I rivaled him a little bit. Um, and then my first year in production twins last year, you know, Ryan Varnes was a top competitor, um, uh, Rispoli, um, Dalton Gautier, but the guy who I didn't like racing with, and I didn't have a lot of respect for was Colby Carlisle. Um, I just, yeah, just his antics and the stuff he would do, um, just his games he would play. I just thought they were immature and, he tried to get under my skin, but it, it wasn't really getting under my skin. It was more so like, dude, you, what are you doing? Like, um, I respect him as a rider. I think he, I think he rides hard and he's, he's a good rider, but, um, and we're cool. Like, I don't, I don't hate the guy. I just, um, just somebody that I didn't, you know, I didn't have as much respect for as I have for Rispoli or uh, Dalton or Ryan Varnes, you know, Colby is kind of the guy who, um, just would kind of irritate me a little bit um we got in a few arguments uh he doesn't want any problem off the track i've already i've tried to assess that and uh that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't on the table um but yeah so he just keeps doing he kept doing bullshit on the track like one of the things he did at the last race of the year in 2019 one of the riders in our practice 
put it through the hay bales. I think it was Nick McFadden, a road race kid. And, and he was pretty hurt. And we're coming around for the red flag. He goes by me on the outside. He like flicks the bike sideways. He's, he's like revving it and looking over at me, like trying, I'm like, bro, there's a guy that's just crashed into the hay bales and you're being a pecker head doing stupid shit. It's like, yeah. So just those antics, I just, and I think he's grown up a little bit, but um, yeah, where he was last year was, it was frustrating a little bit. Yep. Yeah, is that the answer? That, that, Unfiltered yeah, that's answer. Good. <laughs> that's good. What's the uh, what's one of your favorite tracks? What is what is somewhere that you go to that you just go? I could ride here every weekend. What do you like? Oh, man, um, I'm an indoor guy. I like the little concrete indoors. The the really? bang, they're slamming into each other. Short track indoors. I've won a lot of concrete indoors. I'm sort of known as the the indoor guy here in America. Um, I've, I've had a really, uh, a lot of good races on those concrete indoors, but I think AFT wise, I don't know. I like Williams Grove. I've gotten three podiums there, no wins. Um, I, I like anything that's hooked up and tacky. I liked Texas motor speedway. I liked the Volusia, um, yeah. Daytona short track, man. I, I really enjoyed that this year. That was a lot of fun. I don't have a set track that I love, um yeah i just i really don't because my mindset is i gotta try and like all of them um mm. there's none that i i mean i don't i'm not a big peoria fan peoria tt and i heard we're racing there the production twins they're racing there this year so i gotta put on my big boy pants and make some shit happen but <laughs> i uh there's some racetracks i don't love but my mindset has changed so much in the last two years where i used to worry about racetrack even this year um you know, any mile this year, you know, the practice day, I went out and I was fastest guy by a lot, you know, I was smoking them. And then they track the track, dirt tracks crazy because, you know, in road racing, it's just pavement. It's there, you know, it's, it doesn't change and flat track. The track can change 120% from one night to the next. I mean, it could be wetter, drier, hooked up, slick, rough. You can get holes this big in a matter of a couple hours. Um, so that's one thing I've had to, you know, I work with Chris Carr. He's kind of like my rider coach and a good friend. And he's like, dude, don't worry about what the track's going to do. Just know that you have to adapt and win. And that's kind of, um, yeah, I just, I've had to just not worry about that stuff. Just go out and try and win what's, what's there. I just, you know I mean? Not yeah. worry about it. Yeah. You can't change it. Can you? Like really it's, uh, it's out of your hands. You just got to adapt to it. Yeah, I would always kind of wish it would be a certain way and hope it would be this way, like a Corey Texter racetrack. And then when it wasn't what I anticipated it to be, I would suck. Like I, I would I would do way worse. And then when I changed like Charlotte this year, I didn't like Charlotte at all. I hated it. It was rough, tacky. It, it wasn't a track that I normally would do well at, but my mindset was so different than what it was earlier in the season. If it was earlier you know, in the year, I probably would have got fifth or sixth at Charlotte. And I ended up winning by a lot. Like, I just, I didn't care. I just was going to, I had a job to do, you know, I got to go out and, and race. So um, try not to worry about it like I used to. And that, that goes back to, you know, headspace. Like what you're saying, you've changed so much. Um, your head's obviously in a better place where you're not fighting it against yourself now. That's the biggest thing, man. It's, it's racing. Mm. This is all 90% mindset. I mean, there's a lot of really good racers or I, sorry, a lot of good, there's a lot of really good riders that don't make good racers because they can't figure it out. They can't figure out the, um, 
um, the, 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 the idea behind racing. I mean, if you break down a race, it's so simple. I mean, you, you get a good start and you beat the other guys of the checkered flag guys that like, if you overcomplicate what you're doing, it, it just messes you all up. And for me, I've been able to, um, really simplify what, what we do. It's like qualify good, get a good start, be smooth. You win the race. Yeah. I mean, it's, you don't always have to have that raw speed to win. Um, there's a lot of really, really, really good riders that haven't won shit because they're not good racers. Um, and that's something I've learned over time. It's like, I'm going to do what I do best. I'm going to get a good start and be smooth. Um, some days it pays off some days it doesn't, but, um, yeah, you don't have to have the raw speed every week to get the job done. Makes sense. What's the, uh, what's the strangest thing you've seen in Daytona that bike week? <laughs> you never been, huh? You never been over here? No. I've oh, been to the man. States a lot, a lot, but never Daytona. Oh, Daytona bike week is like, dude, <laughs> it's like, and I've been going down, I've been going down to D Daytona since I was a kid. I mean, I grew up in a Harley shop, so I've seen some shit. I mean, the strangest thing. I don't have a strangest thing, but I have a pretty good story. We, you know, Main Street in Daytona is where like all the biker bars are and girls in bikinis and, you know, beer and just, it just gets nasty. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just a party scene. <laughs> and uh, Luke Baird is, uh, he's an amateur, he was an amateur racer from Kentucky, hung out with, a lot with the, um, the Gillum brothers who their cousins with Nikki Hayden and the Hayden brothers. And so he's an Owensboro boy, uh, Luke Baird. And he was probably, I want to say he was 14 and we were at a bar and one of the bar girls, they were out, she was out trying to get people into their bar and we're just a bunch of kids running around. And Luke talked her into giving him a kiss on the cheek. He's like, Hey, will you give me a kiss on the cheek? And she, you know, we want to put it on. I forget what it was. Take a picture. And she's like, all right, cool. Um, so she goes to give him a kiss on the cheek. And at the last second he turns and kisses her on the lips. And, uh, and like, it was not it was not she was not pumped and the, like the bouncer like started like pushing him i'm like dude he's 14 like um <laughs> yeah it was like three in the morning too we're like 14 i'm like 17 we're like running around daytona um i have so many amazing memories from daytona um i could go on forever daytona sturgis bike week just all those bike weeks just running around you know, with Chad Coase and Ryan Wells and just the boys that get after it, Noah Chambers, we just have so much fun. And now I'm a dad, I'm, you know, I'm 33. So life is so different now than it used to be. And I still get after it. I still have fun, you know, but I just don't, I'm not as reckless as I used to be, you know? So that's, it's just been a change of scene for me. You know, I, instead of carrying beers or whatever, I have a Strider bike and, you know, uh, whatever for my little man, you know, a diaper bag. It's just different than it used to be. <laughs> and, and I love it. I love the transition. I love being a dad. And it's something that I enjoy every, every minute of every day, but it's just, life is so different than it used to be for me. Um, everyone's like, let's party. I'm like, I can't, man. We're in the basement riding with crews. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's pretty cool to think about. That's a um, yeah, a fair flip, isn't it? From going to uh, Daytona Bike Week to fatherhood, you know, that's a big, big change. <laughs> Dude, it happened quick too. It was like I I don't know. Being a father, everyone's like, you know, how do you prepare for it? I'm like, you don't. You really don't. You just wing it. Like I wasn't necessarily ready to be a dad, but I knew I didn't. I wanted to be a dad eventually, and I was getting older, so I just sent it. 
and you know he, there he is I, I have a son and, and you just wing it and now our my relationship with my with Cruz you know he's only three but we have such a good relationship where he's riding an electric bike like we ride dirt bikes together we ride bikes together he just turned three um what we can do together and he's doing burnouts he's we're talking about like lines like <laughs> he's so smart and just to be able to have like just a new friend is just so cool and um yeah it's just been a really cool thing for me and um yeah it's it's i i could go on forever about being a dad it's it's truly amazing that's cool okay it's it's funny like the age that you're saying Cruz is to what you're saying about your mindset as well with the sport you're sort of like fair fair parallel there isn't, isn't there yeah i guess you could compare that i guess you know it, it kind of it goes with one another um mm. I would have liked to have a, I would have liked to have kids when I was younger, like, you know, 22, 23, but I was a train wreck when I was that, that old, there's no way I could have had a kid at that, at that point. And I think racers typically, we all have kids a little bit later, like into our thirties because we just can't put the partying behind us. We can't put the long nights. We, um, we're a little selfish. Races are selfish. They don't, they don't want to take time away from what they're doing. Um, so I would have liked to have had one sooner, but I don't know how the hell he would have turned out if that was the case. Cause I was, I was not prepared at, at 22, 23. Yeah. It's a big, big, big change. Um, who does your helmets for you? I'm a bell. I, I wear bell helmets. And then the, uh, the paint job I had this year was a guy named Tagger. He does a lot of the, I think he does, I don't know what the hell he paints. He, he does, does like some energy drink right. stuff and things like that. Tagger, yeah. Um, but I wear I think bells. He does Tomax, Tomax helmet. I'm pretty sure Tagger does. He does a lot of moto guys. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting yep. guy. But yeah, I wear I wear bell helmets. Um, I was I wore another brand for 15 years in my career, and then uh, I got hooked up with Bell, and it's been an amazing relationship. Um, I love being a Bell a Bell guy, and yeah, the, uh, Chris Chris from Bell. Chris Killen, he's one of my boys, and uh, yeah, pretty stoked to be a bell rider. Because yeah, your helmets this year just look mint. Like yeah, just dude. so crafty, you know. Yeah, hold on, I got it. Uh, no, I don't have it in here. Damn, I thought I had it in here. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that helmet's dope. I, I love that. Um, when he painted it, because you never like helmet painters, they don't send like a sketch or anything. They just do it. And I was, I sent him. Uh, yeah, I wear Alpine Star leathers, and I sent him my my leathers. And I was like, I don't know, man, just like, I kind of gave him free range. I was like, I don't know, make it cool. Put like a one on the side. And, and, uh, I, I picked it up. I was like, all right, I see you. Like, that looks good. <laughs> so it was cool. No, it looks mid like, yeah, just looking at the gear. It's like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It just goes back to marketing, back to the whole, the whole, um, funnel. Everything looks good, you know, well presented and everything. So yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. I, I tell kids a lot, man. I'm like, you got to look good. You got to present yourself. Well, you got to have some swag, man. You got to, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it all, it all goes hand in hand, man. I, I tell Max whale is an Aussie boy. And I tell him a lot, man. I try and help him out with, uh, some of his, his shit. And I'm like, yeah, man, you got to look good. You got to do this. You got to do that. And, um, so yeah, I've been kind of taking him under my wing a little bit and trying to help him out as much as I can. Such a good, such a good young guy. Yeah. He's all right. It's all right. You can't talk to him about too much. Hey, tell me about Winter Throwdown. What is it? What's the go? Where is it? What's the event? 
everything. Yeah, it's uh, a race I do in Florida every year. This is the third event I've done. It's uh, January 9th, and it's a pretty fast, short track. It's in near Jacksonville, Florida. Some of the guys that show up, we got Jared Meese, we got Rispoli, Sammy Halbert, Brandon Robinson, Dallas Daniels, Morgan Mitchler, Ben Lau, um, Brandon Price, uh, Dalton Gauthier, um, everybody everybody I, I i i hope briar i think briar might come I, i'm not i'm not positive larry pegram talked to me about it. dude everyone's asked me about it it's um so we get a really i get a lot of support from my peers and that's amazing it, it says a lot about my relationship with the guys i race with and the respect level that they come out and support my event um we have a a really big two big dash for cash events amateur and pro um dude it's just a really fun event it's a big it's a huge one-off event here in the States. Um, I think it's the biggest single day flat track event. I don't know about the world, but it definitely in the States. I mean, the entries we have, we have 250 entries. I think um, we're anticipating for this year and we only have 15 classes. So every class is stacked. Um, yeah. It's something I take a lot of pride in. As soon as the season's over, I work on that event four four to five hours a day more longer than that every day i'm constantly working to grow that event um we do sammy sabedra my uh, co-host on the podcast and chris carter my producer they're my social media team they're running around doing pit walks funny interviews we're doing a uh, motorcycle limbo uh, we're gonna slide under a bar and do limbo i'm hoping to win that shit too i can't race my event because I just have so much going on, which sucks because I want to line up with the boys, you know, and get after it, but I can't race it, but I'm doing the limbo. Um, there's some nice. shit talking going on between some of the guys and I'm going to try and at least win the limbo. So we'll <laughs> see, but yeah, it's a really cool event. I I'd love to do more races, promote more races in the future. I kind of see what other races do that I don't like. And I'm like, all right, I don't want to do this at my race. So my philosophy with my event is, um, don't promote a race like you're doing these guys a favor by promoting the race, promote it as if like you're thankful they're coming and supporting you. So I'm just really happy all weekend long. Like I'm just super stoked. Everybody's there to support me. Everybody has fun. Um, you know, last year, Dalton Gauthier and Justin Jones, they had quite a scuffle in the pits, um, a little bit of drama. So that's always good. I, I, I they can't fight or I have to kick them out, but um, they can yell at each other as much as they want. So that was kind of entertaining. Um, you know, it's called the winter throwdown. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good event, man. And, um, we'll have a lot of stuff on social media that people can tune in free coverage all weekend long on my Corey Texter racing Facebook page. And, and then the winter throwdown, we have a couple, couple pages too. So uh, a lot of cool content, uh, on that race. So there'd be some fireworks it, you put that many boys out there, um, and that much money up for grabs, there's going to be some sort of action so it should be good sure. yeah i can't wait to see it so so you will be doing like a stream of it as well yeah i don't know if we're, we're gonna stream at least like the pro classes we're gonna do pit walks I, we're, I don't know if we can the internet at that race it's in like hillbilly florida like it is <laughs> gator pit florida i mean it's um the internet is pretty shitty but we're gonna do the best we can and yep the guys I have on my social media team that I've mentioned and then <clears throat> sorry, myself, we're going to hammer the content. So it's going to be yep. good. Very, very cool. I can't wait to see that. And I think doesn't Chris, didn't Chris work for 
NBC or something like that. One of the networks. He did. Didn't yeah, he? he's done a lot yeah. of stuff. He's done stuff with NASCAR. Gosh. He's done stuff with American Flat Track. Um, he does stuff with Pro Motocross. Um, yeah. Chris Carter is amazing, man. That's my Swiss Army knife. That guy can do so much stuff. Um, video. He can do social. He can do. Um, sorry, I'm tweaking out here. He can do uh, podcast stuff. <laughs> that guy is phenomenal. He can do everything. Very cool. Well, mate, I uh, I'm gonna leave you to your what day is it over there? It's Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, we've got uh, like a foot of snow today, so I don't have shit going on. I uh, I it was fun chat, man. I just I love talking about racing and uh, and meeting new people and the Aussie fans, man. They're so cool. I have so many people over there that reach out to me, and I'm a big uh, dude. I love it. I love the Aussie atmosphere. I love Troy. Um, Troy came over and did a flat track, some flat track stuff a few years back. And guy was super cool to chat with. And, um, yeah, we're, we're buds and we talk a little bit and, um, you know, I'm trying to think Kirkness, Max whale. Yep. So, um, you know, Luke golf, uh, I'm trying to think, man, there's, there's some really good Troy Herfrost. Um, mm. there's some really dude, Aussie, they produce some badass riders. The guys just, they can bring it. And, uh, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for your, most of your fan bases, uh, hopefully we can bring some new fans over, but yeah, the Aussie fan base, they're, they're great, man. So. That's uh, really cool. And like you're saying, chatting with Troy, you wouldn't, uh, when you sit down and talk to him, you wouldn't think he's a three times world champion in superbikes. He's just so down to earth, you know? Dude, he's crazy. Yeah. All, dude, mm. Aussie guys are crazy. Like they're just wild. Like they go hard. Like the videos I see any crazy motive moto video I see it don't it could be a guy jumping a it could be something fucking crazy you look at where it's from it's australia like just the berm riding walls jumping shit riding on the beach just all the stuff that they do uh the videos the video content from aussie land is it's like the best i love it keep them coming like keep the Aussie, aussie videos coming they're so good well bring that mt07 down here and uh yeah, it'd be awesome to have you here and never know. Get I'll be there. It's, at some point, I'm going to make a trip over there. I just uh, Right now, it's like a big job to go to the grocery uh, store. So yeah, it's too hard America, to travel anyway. <laughs> dude, it is. Well, for us, it's like, it is like, yeah. it is. It's a third, it's a third, third world country over here. Um, I see y'all over there. It's not that bad, but over here, it's like, shoo, it's like a big job. But yeah, when everything gets better and all this shit's going. I'm, I'll, I'll make a trip and uh, we'll, we'll get together and for show. So I appreciate you having Fantastic. me. Awesome, man. Well, take care. And uh, yeah, thanks for everything, eh? Yeah, man. Thanks for what you're doing for, uh, for racing and the sport. And uh, we appreciate it. Peace.